All right. All right. All right. Everybody hear me? Good. All right. Cool. Cool. Here we go. So today I was going to talk about how to live your mission. You know, living your mission. What do you got to do to live your mission? Right. And again, these notes are mainly for me because people go, I couldn't read your notes. This is, if you've ever been in one of my live trainings, I always write stuff on the board. 90% of it's for me to keep me on track. Because squirrel! Anyway, I don't know if anybody else ever had that happen. But uh, so, but living your mission. And if you're going to do this, one of the first things you have to begin to, to separate in your mind is a vocation versus an avocation. I spelled that wrong. But a, a vocation versus an avocation, right? Uh, one of my pet peeves with some of the internet marketing guys, that's why I don't run in that world, is there, there's some saying, you can monetize everything that you do, right? Any hobby, any of this, you can mon monetize it, which you probably can. But my question for everyone as you get started, do you want to do that, right? Because right? an avocation, a hot, which is basically, if you look up the day, it's a hobby. It's something you do to escape from the pressure, right? Um, I love the martial arts. Well, you know that, right? I've trained, well, between shutdown and the torn Achilles and another torn ACL. I haven't trained in a couple of years, but I love it. And more than once, I've been in a, in a place and taking classes and the people go, yeah, you want to be part owner. You want to get involved in this. And part of me, my ego jumps in and says, yes. But I remember what, what one of my masters, if you will, in the, in the martial arts world said, well, if you do that, you can make money, but it, it loses its fun factor. It becomes a job, right? Um, and he goes, it's just something you always have to balance. You know, that was uh, Sensei, Sensei, Sensei Holman, right? And I'm like, that's true, you know, and because he ran a big school, shut it down. His son, well, he ran a big school. He gave it to his son. His son was running it. And then he would train a bunch of us in his garage, right? And it became, because he goes, I do this because it's fun. You know, he let his son do it for a living. But maybe you've had that example, that, that, that kind of thing where you had something you really love and you started doing for a living and it, it changes your thinking about it, right? Um, and that could be good or bad, I'm just saying, but where if you, if you make it your vocation, then you need some other avocation, something to do for fun, right? For years, when I ran the clinics and worked in alcohol and drug treatment, my avocation was theater. I would do theater, right? plays. And it was my escape. I could go to rehearsal, and then when the show started, I had shows. It was a totally different group right? That I didn't have to try to sign up for a class or pitch an idea. You know, in several of the groups I was in, they had no idea what I did for a living. It was not important, right? Uh, remember, I was in a theater group up in Indiana, suburb of Chicago, and it wasn't until I think I had some of that, oh, I know, I did a sports course. They put my picture in the paper on the front of the sports page about, you know, helping athletes. They had all these college athletes. And then they're like, wow, you do that? Why haven't you told us about it? I said, well, I'm not here. I don't want clients out of this, right? So it's something you want to balance, right? Um, I remember 
And this is the self-disclose. This is probably one of my glitches when I talk about what happened with trying to build certain things in the addiction world, right? I'm very active in the 12-step program myself. I have been for way too long, right? Since 1980, right? And then I sobered up in 84. But I still know in that, right? But it's more of an avocation. I go there for me. I'm not there to fix anybody. I'm not there to recruit people. Every once in a while, I'll be talking, and someone will say, yeah, if you get involved in AA, that's a great place to, like, pitch your services. I'm like, well, first of all, you don't understand this, what the, no, right? No, it's not going to work. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, if you're living your mission, you want to think about what is your mission, right? And then to me, it's important to realize I can love something without having to do it for a living, right? You know, can you love something without having to do it for a living? Now, in our hypnosis and NLP world, those of you who've been to any conferences, at least, I'll, I'll lowball it, like 40% of the people at a conference love hypnosis and or NLP. They love it. They do not do it for a living, right? It is their escape from whatever this other thing that they do. And there's nothing wrong with that. As a trainer, as a person that sells courses and that they're great clients, sometimes they're the best, right? Right, but they, they love it. But if they made it their vocation, I remember I had a guy call me, he'd been, got into hypnosis and NLP and we were talking about building a business. And I'm like, yeah, great, what do you do now? He's telling me. And I said, well, do you enjoy it? He goes, it's okay, I like it, it, but it's like, I really love this. I'm like, okay. I said, well, you know, what do you make at your other job? And he goes, well, the worst year I've had, this was like 10 years ago, was probably about $225,000. And he goes, I usually run between 250 and three. And I'm like, well, you could do that doing a clinic. Uh, it's gonna be a lot more work. Right. And, and this was before some of the stuff we have now, but it's like, you know, I'm not going to try to sell them into like a practice builder and get them to quit a you know, quarter of a million dollar a year job to go and do. Um, uh, I forgot to do something to like start a practice. Right. So anyway, it's just, you know, something to think about. Right. Love. You, know, you can love it without doing that. Because sometimes I'm a firm believer in you got to have some passion outside of what you do, right? If you've ever experienced burnout, it's usually because you've lost passion, right? And how many people, you know, in the, in the world, you know, they don't really have anything that they love or anything that they, they're really passionate about. They just go through the motions, right? They're just like churning through, right? So if you have a passion... You know, outside of what you're going to do for a vocation, if you if you have passion about your avocation, it'll bring some passion back into your vocation. My wife would always joke that when when I would do a play, right, and lately a movie, because uh, now it's turned in from my avocation to my vocation, and it's changed how I think about everything. But when I would do a play, my practice improved. Phone started ringing. You know, even if I did nothing else, you know, I'm not a big researcher, but if, you know, another metric change, except now I'm doing a play, you know, I'm getting four or five more phone calls a week for people wanting sessions. 
not from the theater group because it was never mentioned. Just, I would say, to sound metaphysical, my energy shifted, right? And I was like having fun. It was doing this, it was doing that. My passion was up, which went back into that, right? So anyway, uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but so if you want to, you know, really live your mission, what is your mission, right? What is it, right? And in our world, there's a, a plethora of missions that you can have, right? But what is it? Right? What type of client do you want to work with? What type of business do you want to build? Right? Now, with that, you have to think about if you built it, if you made it, if your mission became your vocation and it started succeeding, what would that do for you? Okay? What would that do for you? Right? You'd maybe feel more self-esteem. Self maybe you'd feel this. Maybe you'd feel that. I don't know, but you need to do this because then it, this begins to give you the metric that you might need so you can track how you're doing right? And not listed here is if your passion becomes your vocation and your mission, is there anything you might lose, right? Is there anything you might lose, right? And what I mean by that is if you're really going to build it up, you have to get to the point where you almost have some clinical detachment. You almost have some clinical detachment over the outcome. When I was talking earlier before we started recording, um, that, that um, the ability, you know, for someone to say, no, you don't take it personally. You know, this is what I got. This is what it'll do for you. If they say, no, fine, you know, hey, you know, I, I talked about, you know, when you're, when you're gonna pitch it to somebody, you gotta let them know it's a big deal. Look, I have the solution to your weight loss problem. I have the solution to your uh, smoking, and it builds your passion if you if you believe it, right? And it's a big deal. And if you say no, that's fine. I don't understand why people say no, but if you do, that's fine. You have no vested interest to the outcome. The other thing that it does, once it becomes your vocation, you have to think of it like a business, right? Um, yeah, so how, you know, that's where you have to begin to look at how do you monetize what you're doing, right? Um, and one of the problems in the hypnosis world for a while, it still is, by the way, uh, a lot of times the people that become hypnosis trainers have never done it for a living. They love hypnosis. They're more in this area. They're training people, right? So then they get people in that want to make it their vocation and they honestly can't help, them, right? Or if they, they did, they haven't stayed current. You know, I was at a conference a few years ago and I got as God is my witness. There was a guy talking about marketing and he talked about yellow pages. Right. Oh my God. And I'm like, Ugh. you know, it's like this. No. Right. But, you know, he would, it, it was different. So if it's your vocation, you know, you, you think differently about it. Right. And that's where you get the clinical detachment. So they want to do it. But if they honestly can't afford, right? And in our world, they always say, well, you, you give it away. It took me a while to realize if you keep giving it away, it's not your vocation anymore. It's an avocation. And you've also devalued what you do in the eyes of your clients, right? Or in the eyes of the prospects. And I'm guilty of that, especially in training. I just keep wanting to give everything, give everything, right? And then the same people, and this has happened 
Can I get an amen, brothers and sisters, Lord, praise Jesus, amen? Where they told me they couldn't sign up for something I was doing, right? They really liked my stuff, and but they couldn't afford it. I'm like, well, okay, and I started, to, and I actually cut the price, I was going to do this, and they go, yeah, because me and my friend both went to a, well, I'll just say it, one of the Tony Robbins events, you know, that was like four or $5,000, plus they had to fly there and stay, and I'm sitting on the other side of the table, I was in my office going, get out, finally, I just said, get out. You know, you'll go drop six grand, 10 grand on this. And really, which then she goes, yeah, because I know you do what he, you show how he does what he does. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. But if you're willing to spend that kind of money for this, but now you're telling me you can't. Of course, what I was going to do for it was nine ninety seven, And I'm like, you just told me I'm worthless. And that's very offensive to me. Okay. So I kicked her out. Uh, this was when I had clinical hypnosis in Indiana. And about a couple of days later, she called me about, okay, I'll give you the 997. I said, no, I don't, no, you're done. Go see Tony, you know, spend 80, 90 grand, get in his inner circle, you know, have some fun with that, but uh, I'm not going to do it. So you have to begin to do this. And this is one of my weak spots, right? Today, I'm going to reveal my two weak spots. This is one of them, you know? So again, if you get to do this, what would that do for you? And then you need some metrics on what the success is. How will you know when you have it? Right? How will you know when you have it if you're making it your vocation? Right? Some timelines, some things that like, you know, what are you going to do different? Now we get into the fun stuff, which is so if you're really going to use it to live your mission, you have to live your mission. Right? Whatever that mission is. Right? Um, you, if and part of your mission is hypnosis and NLP, using it, you, you may be the only example someone ever sees, right? So are you living? Are you happy? Are you, are you in shape? Are you, are you pretty healthy, right? Uh, because it's the old analogy. I, would you take financial advice from a guy that pulls up in a 25-year-old car, uh, you know, has to borrow money to get a cup of coffee, right? And yet we, I see that a lot at the conferences, by the way. But that's another is my wife's. Kind of, I hear her growling in the other room. Um, but, you know, are you living your mission, right? And again, if it becomes your vocation, you're proud of it. It's worth paying for. How much money did you pay to get trained in this? How much time and effort did you invest? You know, uh, you know, um, and we like to think, you know, and you hear me slam like all oh, these guys doing the internet marketing. I'll show you how to get big ticket coaches and, you know, uh, Couple people on the call, mainly Billy, can remember when there was this thing going around in the 90s. I'll show you how to make $10,000 a day in corporate speaking. I'll show you how to make $10,000 a day in corporate speaking. Come take this seminar. It's only $197. Back then, it's a little bit more money. That was more money. So come take it. Well, I went to one, and my first question, I looked around the room, however many people were in the room, 25 or 30, I ran the numbers, and I went up and said, if it's as easy as you said it was to do $10,000 a day for a corporate speaking engagement why are you here for two days and you might make three grand after your expenses plus your time away and of course they had their stick down they go well that's because i made so much money i'm just giving back and already my thinking started to shift and i went well i've been lucky enough to run with people with a lot of money or be introduced i don't run with them i wish i did 
But the people I know with a lot of money never think that way. Right? They don't think that way. They want more. They're not going to give it away for free. Right? The only people giving it away at some level or form is someone trying to sell you into the thing. And I've known more than a few people that bought into the get the high ticket clients, you know, and stuff. And it's the the prices I remember the people talking, there's like six people I could think of, was between forty five hundred and ten thousand dollars they paid for the course. Great. And they like the course. They said there's some good info. But at the end of the course, what they say is, okay, now you create this course where you're going to show other people how to get big ticket clients. And then you go out and you teach it. Right. And it, basically it's multi-level marketing 101, right? In a bad way, not even a good way. Right. So, you know, it, so you have to realize what's going on. Right. But if you've been trained in NLP and hypnosis, especially if you've had NLP training from NFNLP, one of the NFNLP trainers, especially in the last 16 years, uh, when we've added the whole waking hypnosis part of for, for the master level, right? You already have, if, you, if you've taken hypnosis, so you understand the conscious and the subconscious, and then to get people to take action, you have to activate their subconscious mind, Right. And the best way to do that is with some kind of trance state, usually telling a story. Right. And if you do that, it's, it's very powerful because, you know, stories sell, facts tell. Still that from internet marketing, but it's true. Right. Or from multi level marketing. A story will sell the idea. And then the, the facts will just present the idea. They'll tell it, they'll give the backstory, you know. Kevin Hogan and I, when we used to do these back in it's like early 2000s, we did a few things where you say, you know, you get them emotionally invested by the stories and, the, and all the, that kind of stuff. So now they're emotionally invested. And then you give them the facts, you know, that will back up the, their decision that they've already made. Okay. And it works. I've gotten away from it. That's my other weak spot. So if you understand that, and now you add the NLP. If you understand some basic waking hypnosis techniques, you know, and you use some of the magic words, you're already got an inside advantage, right? So the question becomes, do you do it? Do you use your NLP and your hypnosis skills, right? Whenever you're presenting anything to potential clients, right? Uh, again, I said, you know, my thing up here about being a weakness, this is always one of my weaknesses because I've known uh, too many people in our field that get involved and two things happen. A, they lose their mind and begin believing that it's them, not the technology they've been exposed to. You know, there's some kind of mystical, magical healer. It's not the fact they understand, you know, how this works. Okay, there's that. And also then they have no off button, right? And so unfortunately, I think I've installed too strong an off button. I never turn it back on a lot of the time, right? And again, this really helps if you've separated your vocation from your avocation. When you're on your avocation, you don't have to use your hypnotic language skills. You don't have to do, you know, hypnotic writing. You don't have to do all of this. It's your hobby. You're just having fun. But when you step into any way, shape, or form of your vocation, turn that puppy back on. Because naturally, as you look to the future, you really see that future that you want. You realize that the answer is right in front of you. And all you have to do is jump in and do that. But 
that's not for everyone, right? Because you might be afraid. And I can, I can relate to fear. I've been fearful many times in my life, right? Um, about a lot of things, right? A lot of things. I remember I was fearful of one thing one time, and one of the mentors there said to the group, gentlemen, you do not need a parachute to jump out of an airplane. But if you want to jump out twice, you need a parachute, right? And I'm sitting there, he's a jump master. I'm like, that makes sense, right? But, you know, he was, a, he was a, I'm doing it now. He was a good teacher. You know, he got you invested. He talked about how it's normal to feel the fear when you step up that first time, you know, uh, whether it's on that platform that's, what, 100 and something feet in the air when you're doing that thing. Uh, it's pretty scary. And when you're like right at the edge, it's pretty scary, right? The first time you fly, you know, and then I was in another group, we got to fly in uh, helicopters. The doors would be back and your feet would be dangling off the side of the helicopter. You know, yeah, you're strapped. It's still pretty scary, right? But so fear is normal, okay? But it, it passes. Fear can be overcome. Fear can go into your rearview mirror. But you know what doesn't really pass is regret, right? If you don't do it, I guarantee you, even I used to say as you mature, but even younger people have this, it's the things you didn't do sometimes that you regret the most, right? That you know, the house you didn't buy, the career you didn't start, the person you didn't ask out, whatever it is. And now you always have that, hmm, coulda, woulda, sure, right? And so you know, I don't want you to have that regret. I really don't. What I want you to do is put that regret in the rearview mirror and realize if you get the right instructor, you can do what you need to do. You know. And so the next level after learning waking hypnosis and NLP in the speak in the spoken word is how to do it written, right? And add a level of magic, which is not just using hypnotic writing but doing over-the-top marketing, right? Doing over-the-top marketing, you know? When you look at people that make breakthroughs, they usually do something out of the box, you know? Um, something outrageous, in fact, right? Why not do that? Have the guts to lay it out there, right? Whatever it is, you know? Uh, when, when I sent out the, the, that post, I put the post, I think it was in the uh, email that I'm going to do this. I don't know if it's going to work. I'm going to test this in a different market. And you can begin to track with me how much it's working. And you know what? I've never seen another NLP trainer or marketing guy do that. Okay. To the best of my knowledge, I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but you know, it's like, yeah, to the best of my knowledge. Right. Uh, so anyway, so if you want to live your mission, first you got to figure out what your mission is. What do you love and are you passionate about it? And is there a way to take it from an application to a, to a vocation, you know? And if so, right, you, that changes how you do it. So what would it do for you doing it for a living? You know, what would you lose when you take it away from an application, right? Uh, Self-disclose again, an example for me to be, a few years ago, I started turning my acting into a vocation more than an application, started getting paid. I wouldn't, do a, wouldn't even do a play unless I got paid, even around here in community theater. It changed the kind of roles I could do, right? Because, you know, 
And, and then when I got in trying to do film, I'd love to do the lead and some of the little things that, but guess what? I don't have the, the track record yet to get what I want, right? So it's, it's, you know, I have to build up to that, right? And it's changed how I'm thinking about it, right? In fact, next week, uh, I leave probably, if I do the, if I do NLP today, next Wednesday, as soon as it's over, I'm leaving, if I don't have someone else do it for me, to go to North Carolina and do a film uh, for film festivals where, you know, I'm, I'm one of the leads. So just like the horror film I did that I'm doing sequel to in June, you know, I'm one of the leads, right? But it took a while to get there. I had to give up, you know, doing a local theater group of like Tennessee Williams or Neil Simon and doing the lead if I want to go over here. So I just hope that makes sense. So, you know, there's always that trade-off. Oh, I'm tired. All right, let me stop the recording. Oh, good. All right, all right, all right, all right.